The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 140th ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. As always, I will give you my highlights lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, in a few minutes, we'll be joined by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. My highlight of the week was watching the Chicago Blackhawks-Pittsburgh Penguins game last Saturday night from Soldier Field in Chicago. It was staged in a snowstorm with temperatures in the Teens and the windshield feeling like uh, the single digits. And I thought uh, it was maybe, maybe one of the best ever atmospheres of the stadium series that the NHL has been holding for the last couple of years. Reminded me a little bit of the very first one ever, which was the Penguins uh, at the Buffalo Sabres on New Year's Day about four or five years ago. Uh, in a snowstorm. We, of course, had the one uh, on New Year's Day this year from Michigan Stadium, about 100,000 plus, uh, with the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs, also played in a snowstorm. But this one in Story, Chicago, uh, Soldier Field in Chicago, was just, uh, I thought, a little extra special, given it was the defending Stanley Cup champions versus uh, the star-studded Pittsburgh Penguins and, of course, Sidney Crosby. And the Chicago crowd was just fabulous. And, again, the snow was coming down, and they were uh, having to clear the ice pretty much nonstop at every break. And whenever they didn't, these guys were, like, skating in the snowstorm with the puck being held up by the ice. So it was just uh, truly, truly great theater. And just fun to watch on a Saturday night. Stuck inside in uh, frigid Boston, uh, as it's been pretty much the whole month or so. Don't think it's been above freezing in something like 20 days here. Although it's supposed to finally get above freezing today. Hallelujah. Well, my low light of the week 
was the fan running out on the court last night at the Santa Barbara Hawaii game. Got right up in the coach's face, screaming at him. And it just brings to mind the you know larger issue of just court storming and everything that seems to be going on these days at college basketball games. As you'll recall, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a fight where punches were thrown between a player and a fan after a player threw the ball at an opponent. And the whole thing is just... Uh, it's headed for a very, very bad place, to say the least. Um, I've witnessed a court storming at Boston College a few years back when they beat Duke. I was nowhere near the court, but up high watching it. And it is just a crazy, crazy atmosphere to witness. Um, no place you want to be if you're uh, over 25 years old or so, I'd say. And again, it's just... Uh, it's flirting with danger. Something has to be done because I think you all remember a few years ago there was a situation, I believe, at the University of Maryland when they played North Carolina State where a North Carolina State fan in a wheelchair was wheeled out into the middle of a court storming and I believe he was knocked off his chair. Fortunately, there was someone right there with him that, you know, got him to safety in a hurry, but I thought then that that incident was going to create change. It didn't, uh, as we're still seeing with these court stormings, and uh, again, something's just got to be done. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, one of the charms of basketball, if you will, as we all know, is that uh, you know the fans are just right there just right on top of things. And, uh, you know, whether it be um, Reggie Miller and Spike Lee interacting <laughs> when the Pacers played the Knicks in those great playoff series as, uh, a few years back, or, uh, or whatever it may be, um, you know, seeing Jack Nicholson and the celebrities sitting courtside at Laker games, you know, all of it uh, has always lent a certain charm if you will, to, uh, you know, to basketball. Right up here in, in Boston, of course, at the Garden with the Celtics, uh, you know, there's very often Patriot players, for instance, will be just right there at courtside, and you'll see them throughout the game, and players, you know, going out of bounds, falling into their lap, literally. So again, there's something to be said for that. Uh, it lends a certain charm and closeness, whatnot, adds to the overall event. But the problem seems to be more these days down in the college game where emotions run high, and of course the differentiator is from the NBA, you have students. When you have large groups of students, you just don't know how it's going to uh, play out. It's now just become automatic. I mean, what better example than seeing uh, North Carolina students stormed the court just a couple of weeks ago after beating Duke. And, you know, it was just odd because North Carolina is uh, a premier program. And you wouldn't think that there's really any game, even against Duke, their ultra-arch-rival, that would create a court-storming situation. They, ble they have beat Duke plenty of times in the Dean Dome. And Duke has beat, 
them plenty of times in Cameron. So that was just uh, odd to me and highlighted how basically court stormings are becoming nearly automatic for anything even resembling, not even an upset, but maybe just a mildly surprising victory, which is what North Carolina beating Duke in the Dean Dome would qualify as, in my mind. So, again, it was just, uh, but this incident last night, I mean, if you haven't seen the film, you will. And it's just this student, apparently, kid, comes just right out of the stands after some kind of a bad call. I think the coach was screaming at the ref, and he just, like, in a matter of a second or two, was just right across the court, come over the chair, uh, which was the bench, uh, just came right over the chair, was on the court, and I mean in this coach's face in a matter of two to three seconds. And so, again, it just uh, shows how easily it can be done. And you never know what's going to happen in a situation like that. I mean, all we need to do is remember Monica Sellis being stabbed on the tennis court. So you just never know exactly what someone's intentions could be when they get up close and personal with someone. And this kid was right in this guy, this coach's face, I mean, inches away. So again, it's a, uh, it's a bad scene. Something's got to be done. Don't know exactly what it's going to be, but uh, you know, I've often wondered, even before a lot of this stuff of recent weeks, you know, just what a dangerous situation it is to just simply have the opposing team right there very often with the students uh, you know, from the home team. And, you, you know, what could be more volatile than that? So I think it's just a, you know, powder keg situation waiting to have a very, very bad ending. So I think the days of the court stormings at college basketball games simply need to stop. Well, my bizarre story of the week was the ending last Sunday of the Honda Classic where Rory McIlroy literally self-destructed. He went in with a two-shot lead and basically was controlling the match until the back nine on Sunday, where he uh, rang up a lot of bogeys. uh, And the other three contenders were hitting also incredibly bad shots. And it was like uh, everyone was playing like nobody wanted it. It was one of those last-man-standing situations. And... uh, and Rory, to his credit, hit an unbelievable shot to set himself up for an eagle that would have literally won the match. Uh, he didn't make it, went to uh, sudden death, extra holes, and uh, Rory did not win. And again, it was just uh, a crazy, crazy situation. So that combined with the Accenture match out in Arizona. Uh, with Victor Dupassant and Jason Day a couple weeks ago. Uh, I say the golf season's off to a pretty good start. If you like exciting Sunday evening golf to watch, uh, we're certainly getting that. Doral is uh, underway down in Miami and looks good. Tiger, of course, is playing despite the bad back and seems to be up and down here the first two days, but. Uh, you know, there's no cut, so he's he's going to be there till Sunday. Whether or not it'll be on the leaderboard is another question. 
But with that said, as my former co-host Lemont Williams from outside the huddle likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And next up will be AP Stedham of Bama Magazine. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we typically have guests, and on the line is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine, John. Doing fine. Glad to be here. How's everything? Everything's great. Thank you so much for calling in, as always. And, uh... Big day yesterday for college football as uh, the ballot was announced for the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, which is kind of interesting because uh, I believe it's going to be opened and moving to Atlanta this very year, this fall, if I'm not mistaken. So this is going to be a bit of a special class uh, coming up, and... You know, I, just a real walk down memory lane to see these players listed. I mean, there's, you know, dozens of them, to say the least. And, uh, 
you know, names you just simply forget about. But boy, you know, they were great in their day. Obviously, they wouldn't be on the ballot. And, you know, you just forget about them. Some of them, you know, may have not gone on to great NFL careers. So uh, the highlights of their careers were indeed college. Uh, I mean, some of the big names from yesterday are, you know, Ricky Williams. That's a good one to start with. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Ray Lewis. And we know those names. And then here's a name that just jumped out at me as a great college player who obviously is almost a poster child for not making it in the NFL was Tim Couch. But, boy, when he was a quarterback at the University of Kentucky, he was as heralded as they get, especially coming out of high school. I mean, he was a true household name literally coming out of high school as an example. Yeah, John, he, he was a spectacular quarterback. I actually saw him upset Alabama in Lexington, Kentucky. That's the first time in 75 years that Kentucky had beaten Alabama in Lexington or even beat him, I think. So, uh, yeah, he, he was quite a quarterback in college, and it, especially when he was being recruited out of high school, that was quite a, uh, a battle to, to have him sign on the you know, dotted line to get him to Lexington, hometown uh, hero. That's right. He went to high school in Lexington. That's right. He, again, he, he's one of those, you know, rare names. It's Back then, maybe not so much now with all the coverage, but, you know, back then, not everybody knew the name of, you know, the top high school quarterback coming, you know, coming out of high school, you know, headed for college and where he was going to go. But Tim Couch was one of those, that's for sure. Everybody knew the name of Tim Couch, and when he picked Kentucky... That was supposed to be, you know, the beginning of uh, Kentucky becoming a player in football, so to speak. And although they've had, you know, they've been better. I mean, they they didn't get where they thought they were going to go when they got Tim Couch, put it that way. Yeah, they, they made it some bowls with Hal Mummy running that spread offense. And gosh, they threw it coming out of the locker room. Just about anybody who was able to run down the field and, and you know, they were you know, exciting for, for the folks in Lexington. And he had sold out quite a few games, I recall that. Oh, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, and I think a big reason his name is remembered so well. He obviously was the number one draft pick ever of the new Cleveland Browns when they were <laughs> right. refounded, so to speak, in 1999. And, you know, at the time, it just appeared to be a lock. I mean, this guy was a, a no-doubter, uh, like Ryan Leaf, shall we say, and, uh, <laughs> and Rick, and, and Rick Myron. Yes, John. What's that? We've seen a few of those can't-miss number-one draft-choice quarterbacks through the years. Yeah, Rick Meyer being another one since uh, I, we lived that up here in New England when it was between him and Drew Bledsoe. I'd say Bill Parcells made a pretty good choice for his first-ever draft pick when he was coach of the Patriots picking Bledsoe and uh, but yeah you, you know and then another one is uh, you, you know Ray Lewis just we all know what he did at Baltimore Rave, you know, with the Ravens needless to say storied career closing it out with a Super Bowl victory but you know when he played at Miami and you know this was in Miami's heyday they had so many good players it was frankly tough to keep track of them all you know, I don't have a big memory of Ray Lewis as a linebacker at Miami. I know he was first-team All-American. I realize that. But he wasn't, you know, 
I, I could list a lot of other players at Miami, including on defense, that were much more well known than Ray Lewis was. Yeah, I think so, John. He, he's a you know first team on Buckus Award runner up. You know, great player at Miami, but he wasn't the uh, you know the, the uh, Vinny Testaverde type or. Uh, you know, any of those former great players they had at Miami, he's not the first name that would come to mind, you know, just like you said. But he was, you know, excellent player for the Canes. And, of course, he had a fabulous pro career. But he's, he's one that you have to look at. And, and, John, you know, just gazing over the list, I think it's very difficult to come up uh, with, I think it's, was it 10 or 15 names that you have to vote for on the ballot? It's it's very difficult but. But three that pop out at me are the former Heisman Trophy winners. The first one you mentioned, Ricky Williams of Texas and Eric Crouch, the quarterback from Nebraska, and then the running back from uh, Colorado, Rashawn Salam. So if I had a ballot, I think I'd have to vote for the Heisman Trophy winners. I, I totally agree, you know, and... Rasham Salam was great. Uh, he, he was the running back on that national championship team, if I remember correctly, the, the co-national championship team. Mm-hmm. And that team was great. And, and, I mean, Ricky Williams, to me, you, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he was just fabulous. Of course, Mike Ditka literally traded the entire draft to get him uh, for the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> those, those Need strange, we say more? Um, strangely enough, John, I, I believe Ricky Williams began his career at Texas as a fullback. Oh, he did. And he, you know, ran some at tailback, but they put him uh, blocking or, you know, running the ball from the fullback position. Uh, I think if I remember right, he was in the um, the first ever, uh, you know, they had a Big 12 championship game, and I, he might have been at the fullback position in that game, if I recall. But, you know, he, he broke Tony Dorsett's record, and I, I, he was always one of my favorites to watch him run and, and his style. And he had those small hands, but he really would hit the hole hard, and he he powers way down the field. He can make some long runs, too. I, I remember that run against A&M that day when he broke Tony Dorsett's record. Oh, yeah. Ricky Williams, to me, is, you know, I put him as maybe on the top ten of all time of college football players. I mean, he was just a true household name, totally producing, Offbeat, Texas was good in those days, uh, as they are now. I mean, and, you know, he was like the successor, if you will, to Roy, uh, to Earl Campbell and ran a lot like him, a little bit more, you know, of a halfback than a fullback like Earl was. But, uh, you know, and I've always found it interesting as Ricky's career progressed, and we all know that story when he went to, you know, uh, the Dolphins and the Saints, of course. Uh, offbeat guy, the marijuana, all of it. You know, yoga. You know, travel to exotic places. All what I've always said though is, you know, if you've ever been to Austin, Texas, you get a flavor as to why Ricky Williams turned out the way he did because that is a an offbeat kind of city. I was there a few as recently as two months ago, practically to the day. Uh, and had previously been there about a, 10 years ago, and it reminded me of, you know, when I was there a couple months ago, it, it reminded me of, again, why Ricky Williams is that way, because that town <laughs> yeah. is so unique with the confluence of the university, state, the state capital, 
and of course the the famous music scene, Austin City Limits, and uh, just uh, again, I'm sure that's what turned Ricky Williams into Ricky Williams, uh, and truly one of the more unique individuals ever in the game of football by any standard. Yeah, he's got to be one of the most uh, charismatic figures ever to play Texas football, and that's a mouthful. And John, how could you not vote for somebody who holds 46 school records at a blue blood type program at the University of Texas? Correct, correct. Um, Yeah, again, you, you know, truly one of the great college football players ever by any stretch. Another one that was nominated, of course, is, you know, Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, now someone we see consistently on ESPN uh, in their studio show for the NFL. And, uh, you know, again, he, he just a complete stud in college. I mean, given his size, 6'5", uh, just a dominant, dominant player. And another one, you know, whose career just took an odd turn when uh, he ended up at Tampa and basically walked off the field, if you will, left the team because he and John Gruden couldn't get along. And now John Gruden is again. I never even thought about this till this very moment. Of course, now they're colleagues at ESPN. (laughs) I know. How strange is that? That that, uh, reunion uh, went when they first had to get together. That must be quite interesting if they patched that up or they're just kind of cordial in public. Yeah, it just hit me. I, I, I just hadn't even thought about it till this very minute, but that is uh, strange bedfellows working at the same company and basically doing the same thing and that they both cover the NFL for, uh, you know, for ESPN. Uh, you know, and going back to Colorado running backs, I'm looking at one of the names here, and to me, this is sticking with ESPN, one of Chris, Chris Berman's best ever nicknames is Eric Bienemy, or as Chris Berman likes to say, Eric sleeping with the enemy Bienemy. <laughs> and uh, again, you know, he's uh, a great player, and I think he succeeded uh, Salam, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, 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 well, anyway, yeah, he was an excellent running back. I remember watching him play, and he was. He was one of the leaders of that team, national championship team, actually. And then I think he's a coach in the NFL now, John. I might be with Kansas City. I think I saw him uh, maybe at the NFL combine. You have those workouts and things, um, and you have to have someone lead the lead the drill. I think that's where he is now. But he was a great player at University of Colorado. Yeah, and you know we were talking earlier about Ray Lewis at Miami. Another one on the list, Jerome Brown. The famous uh, defensive tackle who, of course, went to the Eagles, played alongside Reggie White. Uh, talk about strange bedfellows. They were two opposite personalities who meshed perfectly. And I, I just watched that the special on the two of them and their relationship on, uh, on NFL Network just the other night. And just found it fascinating. Because I remember those Eagles teams so well, and of course remember Jerome Brown at Miami. He was, you know, he was a one-man wrecking crew, and that's saying something. Because now there's a name I do remember very well from from his Miami days. 
Oh yeah, he, he's dominating, disrupting a force on the on the line. Yeah, he, those kind of guys you don't find them in every draft, or you don't find them in any every high school. So Miami was real fortunate to attract him to the campus, and uh, he's a terrific player. Yeah, and that show really had an interesting little sidebar to it, where basically he tackled and broke the leg of Troy Aikman when he was a freshman, I believe, at the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> Thereby, I, I you know, and yeah, then they, you, I knew Troy Aikman broke his leg against Miami. I wasn't sure who, who the tackler was, but that, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was Jerome Brown. They interviewed Aikman during this show, and he said that, you know, that began a chain of events that ultimately led him to transfer to UCLA, where, again, he became the number one pick of the Cowboys, and we all know the rest of the story. So, you know, you talk about altering the course of of history, uh, football history, you know, you can credit Jerome Brown potentially for that, because... It was Troy Aikman himself literally said it in this show on Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, it was Jerome Brown who, again, created this chain of events that led to him, uh, you know, transferring. Yeah, what would Troy Aikman have become if if not for that single play? And, and he was assisted by Barry Switzer in making that transition to UCLA. Well, that's and exactly Homer right. Smith, he, he was under that the offices of Homer Smith, the uh, fabulous offensive coordinator and offensive mind. He was a genius. Right. And not, and let's not forget, you know, Oklahoma is of course known for their running back or running game. Uh, and you know, whether or not Troy Aikman would have turned into the famous passer he became, uh, at UCLA and then with the Cowboys, you know, you don't know if that would have happened, and I think that's what he was alluding to had he stayed at Oklahoma. Um, I love stories like that, and we have a lot more AP, but why don't we take a break now, uh, and we have a lot more people on this list to uh, take a walk down memory lane with. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Lockdown coverage. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And on the line with us still is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., we were talking about the College Football Hall of Fame ballot being announced yesterday and taking a walk down memory lane with some of the great names from college football history on the, on the ballot. What names jumped out at you? Well, John, one name that jumped out at me in particular was uh, Jackie Walker, a linebacker from Tennessee. He was a oh, yeah. time All-American in 1771, and he, he actually was uh, on the 1969 team that helped Tennessee win the SEC championship. And he set the record, John, for a career interceptions return for a TD by a linebacker. I mean, even the defensive back would like this number, but it was five. So that's an incredible number. But an interesting uh, uh, off the field note about Jackie was he was he was gay, and so through all these years, I think some people maybe have shied away from voting for him. But he's a worthy candidate, and I, I you know I'd love to see him in the Hall of Fame. He he actually was on the 1969 team that visited Major Field in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was one of three other African Americans on the team. Uh, the first was Leston McLean, and he was a uh, tight end wide receiver type. And I, I, the other name of the, uh, the the other person's name escapes me at the moment. But people forget that Tennessee was the first team, an integrated team, to come to Legion Field and play and compete against Alabama. It was, it was not the '70 uh, USC team, which is most famously known as the one that changed the uh, uh, Alabama's, you know, trying to get more African American players. But Jackie Walker, I'd hope somebody would give him strong consideration. He, he's he's one. And then, of course, the second one, of course, is Derek Thomas, who set the record, the NCAA record, with 52 sacks. Uh, and he had 74 tackles for loss. So uh, those numbers at Alabama, or I don't even know anywhere else in this country, will be duplicated. And the strange thing about Derek is he set the record and Teddy Bruschi, who tied the record, is was voted in within the last year or so. And I believe uh, Derek Thomas, there's been rumblings that he's been omitted. But I think this is the year for him to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. 
Yes, and I think we touched on Derek uh, very, maybe last week in our show. How many sacks did he have like his senior year? Just an incredible number. Uh, 27. It's just an unbelievable. It's almost hard to digest. Yeah, I mean, he had 18 as a junior, John, and that, that's uh, jaw-dropping enough. And then the senior year, when people know about him even more, and he, their game planning to stop him, he had 27 in, in an era where they didn't throw the ball as much. Yes, unless we forget, you know, the NFL sack leader, and we're talking over 16 games versus at the time 10 or 12 games uh, in college, you know, typically the NFL sack leader, when they're up around 20, that's like an eye-popping statistic that gets everybody's attention. So for him to have oh, 27 and what would have been... Uh, general manager they probably give that person the moon that they signed. Exactly. I mean... Jadavian Clowney, what better example? I mean, if somebody said, you know, you draft Jadavian Clowney and within three years he's going to have 20 sacks, they would pay him any amount tomorrow, period. Sure would. Oh, yeah. no question. You know, and, and speaking, of, uh, yeah, speaking of sacks, I mean, another name that just cannot be ignored on this list is, of course, Brian Bosworth. I mean, say what you want about the Bos, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, he again, he was a household name in college. He was, you know, totally charismatic. Kind of sad that he'll always be remembered for basically getting run over by Bo Jackson right. uh, when he played for the Seahawks and Jack, Bo ran for the Raiders. But uh, that aside, Ryan Bosworth was an absolute force. I can remember vividly. Yeah, John, as a college player, I, I don't yes. know what else more he could have accomplished. Two-time All-American. Okay, there's many players on this list that are two-time All-Americans. But he was a Butkus Award winner twice. Yep. And he was part of a national championship team. So I would have to put him on my ballot. I would have to vote for him. Absolutely. And you have to include, you know, he had, I believe it was a mohawk or whatever, wild haircut. You know, catchy number, number 44, just not something you typically saw a linebacker wearing. And uh, I can remember vividly going out of my way like appointment television to watch him in a particular game uh, just because I hadn't seen him but had been hearing a lot about him and he, he was a one-man wrecking crew back in the day. Yeah, I think the, the negative uh, perception of him maybe is that he took some illegal drugs while at Oklahoma right. and his, of course his, his off-the-field antics and on-the-field certain things he would do so maybe that makes some voters shy away from him but if you're just looking at production on the field and his accomplishments, I don't think he can be denied. Correct. And let's not forget that, you know, uh, his Hollywood career also added to the aura, positively or negatively, probably more negatively. But, you know, he was, you know, I think he was more interested in, you know, starring in Hollywood than starring in the NFL, basically. And he went out and he did some, you know, pretty early, right early on, you know, after Oklahoma he was starring in these, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger type action movies. <laughs> you know, yeah, he enjoyed. Uh, he he didn't shy away from the camera. Let, let's put it that way, John. He, he sure he sure welcomed every opportunity, you know, to to speak his mind and and be seen and heard. Absolutely. Now another name I'm seeing is, you know, you talk about great offensive lineman Tony Baselli, who was again. He was the Tony Mandarich of his day, where he was considered the all-time can't miss, and in many ways he didn't miss because I think he was 
quite possibly the first ever draft choice of uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, where he basically, you know, uh, protected the blind side of the quarterback for years and years as they rolled into the playoffs. I mean, the Jaguars in like year three or whatever of their existence under Tom Coughlin were in the playoffs. I watched him play the Patriots in the 95 or so national, or excuse me, AFC championship game. So Tony Baselli was an all-timer both, you know, in college and in the NFL. But he, he was, again, he was like, you know, just a, a household name for an offensive lineman. Doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I, I think he was the first draft choice of the Jacksonville Jaguars in franchise history, and he he, he was a very dominating uh, left tackle. And I, I think the quarterback was Mark Brunel at the time. So, and, and Jacksonville had immediate success, you know, relatively speaking, in those first like the third year. So, yeah, he's he's someone I'd probably put on my my ballot vote for him. Yeah, another one I'm looking at, uh, you know. Um... Shane Conlon, Penn State linebacker. Again, there's a guy whose NFL career didn't really pan out, but he was the heart and soul of that national championship team in 1986 that beat Miami uh, in the Fiesta Bowl to win the national championship. But, you know, it's kind of funny because he was the name everybody knew, but yet in the, you know, pre- the quintessential play of the year, the final pass by Vinny Testaverde, to win the game was intercepted by another Penn State linebacker, George Giftopoulos. Now, that's a good trivia question that most people won't know. <laughs> and if people were going to take a guess, they would say, Shane, you know, if you ask what Penn State linebacker, you know, intercepted the pass to win the national championship, most people would say Shane Conlon from that team. But it was George Giftopoulos. But Conlon was spectacular, to say the least. Yeah, John, I was going to ask you that question because I remember watching the game distinctly and I, I, I recall the Penn State linebacker intercepting Testaverde, probably what was the fourth or fifth, maybe sixth interception of the night. And yes. I was I was thinking it was Shane Conlon myself. Uh, Correct, maybe, but, I don't know if he intercepted one that evening. but uh, He had yeah, one, maybe two interceptions. If I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, Shane Conlon <laughs> played a major role in that game and had, I believe, one, if not two interceptions. Uh, another name from... From back in the day, the a guy that I absolutely loved back, you know, in the early days of Florida really, you know, becoming good, uh, Wes Chandler. He was just a spectacular college player, to put it mildly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he, he had ter- uh, the softest hands, and he was like a ballet dancer when he went in the air. I, I just recall him so much. And it's funny because I knew... Um, uh, one of my classmates in Alabama, he played against him in the Florida, um, uh, I don't think it was the championship, one of the playoff games. And they, they always mentioned about West Chandler, New Smyrna Beach, Florida. And, and they would always be trumpeting his, his talent. Yes. And, you know, he was along the lines of Paul Warfield and Lynn Swan. He was that type of a receiver. And, you know, he went on to a, a fine career with the San Diego Chargers. Maybe not quite what was expected or hoped for him, but nonetheless, he had a, you know, a pretty good NFL career. Oh, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed watching him when he was with the Chargers. I think, John, was he originally with the New Orleans Saints, possibly, and he was traded to the Chargers when John Jefferson left, maybe? I, I think I'm you're, not I sure. Think, 
You're very good. You're exactly right. Um, again, so many good names. One, a guy that I absolutely loved when I was a kid, Tom Gatewood, split end for Notre Dame. I mean, that was the height of, you know, Lindsey Nelson and doing the Notre Dame replays on Sunday mornings that basically, you know, I think in those days they got ratings like bigger than the NFL. It was appointment <laughs> television. Right. Oh, yeah, I think it was number 44. He was unstoppable. Big Number 44. Unstoppable. And, and uh, he was, I guess, the first African-American captain in Notre Dame in Notre Dame history. Led the team in receiving three straight years. And, uh, yeah, I, I, he was an outstanding uh, receiver. I remember him quite well. Yeah, and, and that leads to just another great name that, you know, not everyone would know this off the top of their head, but you know it and I know it, Kirk Gibson. You know, oh. before he was a Dodger and a baseball player and not a Dodger, more a Detroit Tiger, really. Uh, he was a spectacular wide receiver, absolutely a force. And, you know, the Tigers took him because he was such a Michigan hero. They took him to play baseball, but he was like an all-time hero in the state of Michigan. Oh, yeah, he had that mentality of a football player, but he was wearing cleats in baseball and, you know, big, led the big 10 in receiving and heck that's That's in the era when, you know, Michigan state, they had, you know, were co-champions of the big 10. That was very difficult at that time because, uh, during the seventies, it was really Michigan and Ohio state. Absolutely. No, he, he again, Kirk Gibson. He, I, I remember him well, well, Again, we still have more names to go through, but why don't we take our final break and we'll cover the rest of the list on the, on the other side. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you may not know all their names but you certainly know what they did they helped make this game into what it is today now we can do more to help them the nfl alumni association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit nflalumni.org. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit marchofdimes.com 
and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Where's America listeners? Welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. And still on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham of Bama Magazine. And before we get started again uh, with the College Football Hall of Fame ballot, uh, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is the Doral Golf Tournament down in Miami, given the last two Sundays uh, with the PGA and the dramatic endings two weeks in a row. i got to go back to the well one more time for this Sunday evening to watch uh I think anything watching anything from Miami in in March is a good thing. Would you, do you agree, AP? Oh my goodness, who would want to watch that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, continuing on with this list, it just continues. It gets more fascinating the more I read into it. I mean, Ken Norton Jr., linebacker for UCLA. I remember when he played. He, of course, uh, was the son of the boxer Ken Norton. I know that they always had kind of a Unique relationship, and uh, but yeah, he a great player in college, and of course with the Cowboys and Forty ers Yeah, he, he was a tackling machine, and he played on those UCLA teams that I mean, had four consecutive bowl wins. I mean, I don't know if that happened in UCLA history since. I know exactly, and uh, another name from Ohio State. Jim Otis, and I remember him from those great teams of the late 60s from Ohio State. Rex Kern, of course, was the quarterback. They were considered unbeatable. That's what I always remember until the last game of, their, of Rex Kern's junior year, which would have been Jim Otis' senior year, when Michigan pulled off what I still consider to this day the upset of the century because this team was basically being handed three national championships. They won it all when they were, most of them were sophomores. And I always remember the name of the Michigan kid who basically won the game with a punt return and a huge interception named Barry Pearson. <laughs> I, I forgot that name, John. I sure did. Yep. He, uh, you, you talk about a name that like burst on the scene in one day. He, he, Barry Pearson's the all-time guy. But Jim Otis, great player under Woody Hayes for all those years. Um. And speaking of Ohio State, Michigan, another name that just jumped out at me because I remember him well. He's great to watch. Was uh, Rob Lytle, the the running back? Yeah, he was. A, he's a very good running back from Michigan. I, I remember him wearing that number forty-one. And uh, you know, heck, he was the he was the MVP of the Big Ten. John, I mean, that's how uh, fantastic he was as a player for the Wolverines. Yes, yes. Another name that's here that like. You talk about people that are defined by one play. Tim Crumry from Wisconsin, a defensive tackle. I can truly say I don't remember him in college, but what I and 
all football fans remember as he has the second most famous broken leg in the history of football next to Joe Theismann when his leg was broken in the Super Bowl. You remember that one when he played for the Bengals? I remember. Every time I think of his name, I think of the broken leg in the Super Bowl and the Bengals came within, I guess, what is it, 38, 39 seconds of beating Joe Montana and the 49ers. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, again, you know, the, the names are just endless. I mean, if, here, here's one, you know, in the who knew category, Ron Rivera, current coach of the Carolina Panthers, a guy that after two or three games this past season was considered to be on the hot seat of coaches going to get fired in the NFL. And, uh, as we all know, he probably, you know, he turned his team into the hottest team in football the rest of the season, basically. Even yeah, though they lost I remember the 49ers. John, when he played for California as a big, strong linebacker, tough, tough guy. Absolutely. Another I'm, name, I mean, you know. He wore number 50, I think, but I remember right. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I'm f- certainly familiar with the name, but I can't say I actually remember him at California, but, uh, you know, but. If you're a football fan, you, you've been familiar with his name for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, another interesting name, Antoine Randall L., who was the quarterback, people forget this, at Indiana. And, you know, not a lot of Indiana football players on this list, shall we say, but he, of course, made his name as a jack-of-all-trades with the Steelers. He kind of took over the Cordell Stewart role uh, in, in that, you know, again, jack-of-all-trades, uh, but... You know, he threw a pass, famous pass to Heinz Ward in the Super Bowl up in Detroit in Jerome Bettis' last game when they beat the Seahawks. And, of course, memory serves me correctly, he threw it to Heinz Ward, who leaped over the goal line. It was the famous cover of Sports Illustrated, and Heinz Ward was the MVP of that Super Bowl. So, But Antoine Randall had a terrific career with the Steelers throwing the ball. It's just that simple, although he was a wide receiver. Yeah, he might be the... The greatest player in Indiana of all time, I would think. Correct. Correct. He was just awesome. Another name I'm seeing, uh, you know, Mike Ruth. Uh, you know, he was to the defense what Doug Flutie was to the offense back in the day for Boston College. And, uh, you know, won the Outland Trophy and was just a you know tremendous player in the Doug Flutie era that, you know, again, help BC have a good team. It wasn't just about Doug Flutie. I mean, they were an excellent team back in the day that went to, you know, the Cotton Bowl, and it was a major bowl. It was, you know, a major breakthrough, and Mike Ruth played a big part. He, he was the second-best player on those BC teams. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I think, John, interesting about him is almost, you know, over almost 350 tackles, and, and then there's 29 stats from the nose tackle position. Amazing. You just don't see that really anymore. No, you don't see that from those tech position in college or any, anywhere else. Correct. Correct. Uh, another one, you know, just a name is yeah, Zach Thomas, you know, all pro great linebacker with the dolphins. You know, I knew he went to Texas tech. I knew he was great there, but you know, just nice to see him on this list. Cause you just associate him so much more with his dolphins career mainly because he was undersized. He was like five foot eight, if that. Yeah, he, he was always around the notes of the football. One of these guys where he wouldn't be a scout stream, but he'd be a, 
a coach's uh, type of player where they just enjoyed his ability to to diagnose to play and and make the uh, make the tackle. John, another name I just wanted to bring up quickly was Willie Rofe of Louisiana Tech, offensive tackle. He was he was a yes. fabulous player for so many years in the NFL. But at Louisiana Tech, he they played against Alabama. He went up against Eric Curry, All American at Alabama. He, Eric didn't have a, a sack all day. And I, I talked to Willie about that one time. We got a chance to uh, meet. Yes, great great player for the Kansas City Chiefs and. Well, AP, we covered a lot of ground, but I think we don't. We only did about a third of the list. So, anybody who's interested to try to find it, it's you know, it's fascinating reading to say the least. And AP, thanks for your perspective. I knew you'd uh, have some great stories about all of these guys, which you did. Thank you very much, John. Look forward to next week. Me too, and thank you all for listening to All Around Sports. And we look forward to doing it again next Friday at one p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.